Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Beth. Well, I have a screen graphic here I'd like to share with you first. I think it'll be fun. In a couple of weeks, I'll have had the privilege of getting to be uh, one of your pastors for 10 years now. And and, uh, these are all the books of the Bible that I've had the opportunity to preach from in those 10 years. Some of them we hit three, four, five, ten times. You know, the Gospels and the Acts, we do almost every year. So um, now, uh, now, the ones on the far right, you're right. We preached every chapter and verse of those particular books in this sanctuary. And that's quite an undertaking for a, a congregation to get, get, to get to go through entire books of the Bible together. And I was so glad I got to be a part of that. Um, now, as Christians should, I think I have favored the New Testament. But... If I could brag for just a moment, I do think I've done an above average job of also visiting the Old Testament in our last decade together. 47 sermons based on the Old Testament. That's about 20% of all the preaching that I've gotten to do. So we are about to focus a lot on the Old Testament for a while here. And uh, I wanted to start out by finding out what is the Old Testament and you know, why is it old? So here we go. Um, if you like handouts, you have come to the right place. Um, Beth, my assistant, has made these handouts that you have in your program today. And this binder, you can pick up if you didn't already, to collect them as the series goes on. Now, she has done more than just make this a fill-in-the-blank exercise. She has done a great job of making this a reflective exercise. We actually interact with it, how these scriptures are affecting you. And I am so thankful that she has done that. And so, uh, here we go. Historically, the... Bible, uh, the Old Testament is the scriptures of the Hebrew people. So that's just a little tribe of people that lived in the Middle East. It covers events, if you read the Old Testament, from creation all the way up to about 300 years before Christ, 300 years B.C. When was it written? It was written in parts and pieces. Uh, the, and the writing of it probably began around 1200 B.C. and went all the way up till it was its completion in 300 B.C. So that's the years during which the Old Testament was written. The events inside the Old Testament cover things that happen as far west as Egypt. Jonah tried to go further west once, but if you know the story, he did not make it. So it goes as far west as Egypt, as far east as Persia, but mostly it's centered right there in the middle on what was then and now called Israel. So if you love maps, you got a map in your handout. Literarily, what is the Old Testament? Literarily, it is not a book. It is actually a library of ancient writings. In fact, there are 39 books in the Old Testament, and they're all different types of books. There are history books, there are law books, there are poetry books, there are proverbs, essays, and sermons. And it's not written by one author. The Old Testament is written by a variety of authors who have a variety of backgrounds and experiences. Some of the authors are prophets. Some of the authors were kings of Israel. Some of them priests. Uh, Some of them military generals. And at least one was a common herdsman. Amos was just a shepherd. I haven't studied all the prophets, so I don't know what all their day jobs were, but I happen to know his. 
So how did this ancient collection of writings from all over that part of the world and all these different authors come to us as the Old Testament? Well, it was copied by hand with meticulous accuracy by scribes who passed it from one region to the next, one nation to the next, one person to the next, until it has come to us as the Old Testament. Now, in the 17 and 1800s, people began to th- suspect that this was not an accurate way to translate, transmit these writings to us. Hand copying, and then you hand copy, and then you hand copy. They compared it to that parlor game that was played then and now. A rumor, have you ever played this, where you sit in a circle and you whisper to somebody, and they whisper to somebody, and they whisper to somebody, and by the time it comes back to you, it's not at all similar to what you said right? So in the 17 and 1800s, they felt like that's probably what has happened with the Bible. Now, I know somebody just put that on your Facebook feed last month, but their information is really, really out of date because in the late 1800s, archaeology showed us that you can dig up two copies of the Old Testament from different regions of the world, separated by 800 years, and they will read nearly identically. Eight hundred years of copying in different regions, and they will read nearly identically. That's because the scribes uh, took their job of transmitting the scriptures very seriously. The differences you find are often where they will update the names of places, such as when you read in your history book, it doesn't say, uh, you know, Denver was in Louisiana, even though it was at one point. They say modern-day Colorado, so they update things a little bit. Um, They also uh, will um, change spellings to keep up with the times. And and then sometimes scribes just miss a word or skip a line while they're hand-copying. Now, because we have so many copies, you can always figure out where those little skips happened. In fact, scribes in some schools, their job was taken so seriously that once they completed a scroll, and I'm talking big scrolls like Isaiah, if it was laying on this table, it would be this big around. They would roll it out and they would count the letters from the back and the letters from the front. And they had to arrive at the same letter, tell the head scribe what letter it was. And if they were wrong, burn it and start over. Not every scribe school, but some were that serious. So they took this job very seriously. And that's how you can trust that whatever was first written has come to us. Whether you trust the content or not is a matter of faith. But the scribes, that was serious business. All right. Truth told, the Old Testament is my favorite part of the Bible. Now, this is a fact that has disturbed my dad for many years because every year, about once a year, we'll be sitting in my office and he'll say all of a sudden, okay, tell me again why you like the Old Testament so much. Okay, here's the answer. I have been wired up since I was very young to be drawn toward forgotten things that hold the key to everything. You give me a story where something is forgotten and ancient and discarded, and yet holds the key to everything, and I am in. I am in. When I sat there in 77, watching Luke Skywalker figure out he was not just a farm boy on a backwater planet, I was all in. I, I cried as an adult when Harry Potter got that key, and he went and opened that vault, and there's a huge store of treasure that had been placed there. For him when he was a baby. 
when Bilbo finds out this ring he's been knocking around in his coat pocket for 55 years is only the key to the making or the undoing of the entire world, depending on what you do with it. All right? This stuff gets me. My favorite Old Testament story, an obscure story where they're cleaning out the temple one day. They find a scroll. They roll it out and say, what's that? Oh, just the Bible. For two generations, they'd stopped reading it and thrown it in the back room of the temple and lost it. So they blow the dust off, call a village meeting, and they start reading it, and everybody weeps to realize how far they had gotten from God. But I like to think they also weeped in hope that now they had his word and they could come back to him. That's what the Old Testament is to me. Now, a lot of Christians avoid reading the Old Testament. A lot of people have misgivings about it. Lots of Christians, maybe, maybe you're like this. You read it only rarely. Lots of Christian preachers actively try to avoid preaching from the Old Testament. One pastor uh, I know of said privately, if we lost the whole Old Testament, I don't think we as the church would miss it. Why do so many Christians avoid reading the Old Testament? Here's some reasons. And on your sheet, you can check the one that's maybe the reason you don't like to read it all that much. So a little reflection. First of all, it seems like it's not our story, but somebody else's. There's no Jesus in the Old Testament. So we think we'll get there. Okay. There's no person of Jesus walking the earth by that name in the Old Testament. There's no Christians in the Old Testament. There's no cross. There's no Christmas. There's no Easter. Another reason we might avoid reading the Old Testament, it seems like it's not our God, but somebody else's. In the Old Testament, God is a cosmic creator who speaks whole worlds into existence. He judges nations by sending armies to destroy them. He conjures up pillars of fire and plagues of locusts. Some Christians even use this phrase, the God of the Old Testament. And they'll use it in a sentence like this. The God of the Old Testament is an angry judge, whereas the God of the New Testament is full of grace and love. Speaking as if there are either two gods or two totally different pictures of God, and one of them is better than the other one. We might avoid reading the Old Testament because it's not our culture, and that makes it hard to understand. In the Old Testament, they had these old men who were ruled their entire extended family like a tribal chief. We don't do stuff like that. If you're Italians, you might have a mom who does that, but, uh, but most of us don't do that. Um, with their brothers in the Old Testament, if, if his brother dies, he's supposed to go marry her wi- his, the brother's wife and give her a child. Woo! It, because, you know, to make sure there's an inheritance and a lineage for his brother's name. Yeah, we don't, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do things that way. Uh, they have religious circumcision at any age. They have uh, slavery. They have animal sacrifice. It's very hard to sort through all these cultural differences and find God in it all. Another reason we avoid the Old Testament is it's laid out just physically in this book, in a way that seems very disorganized to us. So if you ever tried to read it, you're great for the first two books. Genesis and Exodus, they're a lot of fun. You've seen the movies. They proceed in just about, you know, they proceed in order. And then you hit the rocks. Leviticus. 
After that, it starts jumping around. Sometimes two books will cover exactly the same content, like Kings and Chronicles. A prophet may be mentioned in one book, but everything he said and did is actually recorded 10 books later. And if you don't know ancient Middle Eastern history, and hardly any of us do, every page of it is a parade of kings with five-syllable names, ruling a land that changes names Five times before you reach the end of the Bible. It's like six flags over Israel. You know, it's called Cana, and then it's called Israel, and then it's called Judah, and then it's called Judea, and then it's called Palestine, and now it's called Israel again. And then there's the capital, and it's called Jerusalem, but it sits on a hill called Zion. And then sometimes they just call the people Jacob. And uh, what a mess! But we're about to embark on a quest together to rediscover and reclaim the Old Testament. We're going to closely follow a book by Christopher Wright. Christopher Wright wrote an excellent book called Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. So uh, using all my creativity, I decided why don't we call our series Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. So maybe your small group, your small group would like to read that book this fall, or maybe you'd like to read it and, you know, go on this journey together. Also, uh, let's go to your handout. So there's a brown bar at the bottom. It says July 23rd, 2017. Bible reading track, Mark 1 through 8. Each week, we want to give a Bible reading track. Now, if you collect all of these, and we'll put them up on the website if there's a Sunday you can't be here. Um, when I first became a Christian, I had a Bible reading track like this. It, doesn't, it didn't have me read the whole Bible at first. It had me read all the main stories all the main stories from the Bible. So I got a big overview and then I went back and read the whole thing. So maybe you'd like to follow this reading track. Maybe your family would, maybe your small group would. And if you're a surge ahead kind of person and you've got time, we can send you the entire track all at once if you want to email someone in the office. Um, Now, several, about 15 years ago, I got to uh, challenge everyone to do this. Let's read the Bible together. Let's go on a journey together. And several people in the room that evening took up that challenge. And one of them is Scott Patton, and he has read the entire Bible and started it over again. And I've been really intrigued through the last 15 years as he has studied the scriptures and um, shared with me things that he learned. I said, well, would you come and, and share with us your journey, how it began and how it's going? And he said he would. So, Let's welcome Scott Patton to share his story. Good morning. My name is Scott, and this is my story. I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not going to diss the church. It was my, part of my story. But I never felt called to read the Bible. I only got bits and pieces over the years. And when I graduated from high school, I was given the Bible. I hardly ever opened it. It wasn't until I started coming to Lakeland that I even wanted to get to know what the Bible had to say. On one occasion, Garrett taught a series on the Bible. He started out by asking everyone, who here has read the Bible? There were very few people that had. I thought, how do these people, just like me, claim to believe in the Bible but not know what it says? I was motivated. So I started reading my old high school Bible, cover to cover. It took me a long time. 
I'm not a fast reader. Once I'd finished, I started again with Genesis on February 4th, 2006. I write down the, uh, the date that I start each book. Kind of gives me a progression of how I'm doing. Uh, I'm not always super committed to getting my study done, but I've come to see it as a lifelong study, and I pray that God keeps me around long enough to finish it. I'll tell you a little bit about how I do my Bible study. I read each chapter three times in a row. The first time I read through it, I just get a feel for what it has to say. The second time, I look up the references in the margin of the other parts of the Bible that those things have said and look up words that I don't know in a Bible dictionary. That really slowed me down the first 18 books. These include the Pentateuch and the history books. Lots of names. Uh, the, The Pentateuch being the first five books of the Bible, the books that Moses wrote. It's just one of those things you learn when you read the Bible. The third time I read the chapter, I also read the notes at the bottom of the page and then journal on what I've learned from the verses. Here are my notepads that I've written from Genesis well into Psalms. I'm on my tenth one so far. So what do I get out of reading the Bible? I like to think I gain wisdom. Wisdom I have learned comes through the Holy Spirit. Wisdom comes from getting closer to God. I know that I'm getting a better understanding of God. Being a father and having read the story of the Hebrews, I understand that God just wanted a relationship with these people. He wanted to love them and for them to love him. That is what I've always wanted from my own children. And as they've become older, it seems to get harder and harder to keep that relationship going. I've begun begun to empathize with God, and that makes me want to be a better child to him. I really like history, so the history of the Jews was very interesting for me. I came to realize that they didn't do anything to become God's chosen people, and neither have we. Their story is our story. God loves. We praise. We turn. We learn. God forgives. God loves. It happened over and over to the Jews, and it happens to us every day. So how do I put this knowledge to use? I try to be a better follower of Jesus. I've read many, many verses in the Old Testament that I recognize from Jesus' teachings. And because I've read them in the Old Testament, I came to understand a little differently what Jesus was meaning. I'm currently leading my men's small group in a study of the Psalms, Loosely based on my method of Bible study, it's been surprisingly revealing, and I think we would all agree that each of us has gained a lot out of it. I also attend men's breakfast on the first and third Saturday of every month, because there I get a chance to discuss about differences, uh, different ideas in the Bible. It's not meant to be learned alone. My name is Scott, and this is just part of my story. Scott is an ambulance medic. Now, if you're in a wreck, don't you want that guy to come save you? Yes. 
So now I want to share why we should go on this journey together of knowing Jesus through the Old Testament. So our series is called Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament, but it's going to begin and end with these verses. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It's actually the first line of the New Testament. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app and you want to go to Matthew 1, verse 1, this will be the beginning of our series and it'll be the end of our series someday in the future. It says, This is the record of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Knowing Jesus through the Old Testament tells us who Jesus really was. Right at the beginning of the New Testament scriptures, Jesus is tied to the Old Testament. It says he's a descendant of David and a descendant of Abraham. Those are two big names in the Old Testament. And this tells us that Jesus was Jewish. Now it's true. It is true that Judaism in our modern times has become a religion separate from Christianity. Now, it's now it's not the same. Now it does not teach the same things. It does not have the same picture of God. It does not have the same picture of afterlife or the same uh, goals that it's trying to achieve. But this separation was not God's intention. The Savior he sent at that time was truly a Jewish Savior. And Jesus' Jewish identity tells us everything about why he came and what he came to do. And as we go on this journey of knowing Jesus through the Old Testament, we will finally, truly, rightly understand what Jesus' mission in this world is. And that is no small thing. Knowing Jesus through the Old Testament connects us to his mind and his heart. Think about these points carefully. The Old Testament stories are the stories about God that Jesus knew. The Old Testament words are the words that Jesus read. The Old Testament psalms are the psalms that Jesus sang and the prayers that Jesus prayed. The Old Testament words about the Messiah are the words that told Jesus who he was. Although the New Testament is all about Jesus, the New Testament was written after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension. Jesus never read it because it didn't exist. When Jesus speaks of the scriptures, when you hear Jesus say, haven't you read this in the scriptures? And this fulfills what this was written in the scriptures. Jesus is speaking of the Old Testament. If we follow Jesus without reading the Old Testament, we may love him a great deal, but we'll know very little about who he thought he was or why he thought he had come. See, Officer Ewing here, Officer Andy Ewing, I know, I know you're a police officer. I know what you do. But if I don't know why you did it, if I don't know why you became that and chose this uh, profession and, and all that goes along with that choice, I don't really know very much about you if I don't know why, which makes me very curious. I now want to ask you why here in the week to come. You can know what Jesus did, but if you don't know what was motivating him and, and why, do you really know him that well? This makes us vulnerable if we skip the Old Testament. 
It makes us vulnerable to errors and we could actually be led astray by letting someone else who probably also ignores the Old Testament tell us why Jesus came. And even they don't know. And we don't know that they don't know because we didn't read what they didn't read. It, It makes sense if you think about it. This could cause confusion because as Jesus thinks and acts and talks on all this Old Testament history, if we have all that information hidden from us, we don't understand what he's thinking, why he's acting, and what he's saying. This could cause us in extreme form to be separated from God because we have to admit, if we don't know what motivated him, we don't know what informed him, we really don't know him at all. Knowing Jesus through the Old Testament tells us the story that Jesus completes. Now, we said this story is going to begin and end with this verse. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. First verse of the New Testament. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. So our New Testament begins with an Old Testament genealogy. And each name in that genealogy ties us to some of the biggest moments in Old Testament history. Which means that Matthew is basically saying, hey, before we get too far into this, you're not really going to understand this part of the story unless you understand its connection to this part of the story. And then he begins a genealogy in three sections. The first 14 generations go from Abraham to David. And that is the era of God's promise, when the promise was made. The second 14 generations go from David to the exile of Israel, when they were conquered by the Assyrians and scattered through the world. That is the era when the promise was forgotten by the people. And the third 14 generations go from the exile to their return to the promised land, to the coming of the Messiah, When the promise was remembered and the promise was kept. Matthew tells us when he starts the gospel this way, know the Old Testament story for it is the beginning of the story that Jesus now comes to complete. And Jesus himself tells us this too. We're going to go to a story that Jesus told. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you want to go to Matthew 21, verse 33, we're going to read this whole story that Jesus is telling. So this is a story that Jesus is telling, and we're going to hear it together. Matthew 21, verse 33. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard and he built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. So he has built them an awesome vineyard. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. So he built this awesome vineyard and it's his vineyard. He gives it to tenant farmers. They can make a living here off this vineyard. It's, it's, they live there, but it's his. So he gets a share and he's come to collect his share. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they'll respect my son. 
But when the tenant farmers saw the sun coming, they said to one another, Here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and take the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, What do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, He'll put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. He's quoting them a passage from the Psalms. In the, in the Psalms, it paints this picture that here was this guy building something and he saw this stone. He's like, that, that stone's defective. There's something wrong with it. You can't use that. Next. But then God came and took that rejected stone and made it the cornerstone, the most important stone that's going to hold up the foundation of everything. Jesus says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone who falls on it. When the, anyone it falls on. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him. Brilliant. So they're going to go ahead and just fulfill the story. Arrest him, stone him, kill him. Wait, that's what he just said we'd do. Okay. Still not listening to the story. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. So begins the plot to find a way to get someone else to do it. In this story now, you've actually just heard Jesus tell the whole story of his ministry. The landowner is God who built the world for us. The servants he sends to collect are the Old Testament prophets who come to tell the people to turn toward God. One by one, they are ignored and killed. Then he sends his son to a nation that rejects him. And so he gives his kingdom to the world, to anyone who will give him the harvest due him, anyone who will give him the worship due him. Now something has just happened in the room. Something just happened in the room. Just now, the words of Jesus suddenly shed a light on the meaning of all the Old Testament stories. That God is trying to reach the whole world. That the nation of Israel had that mission, but they're rebelling and killing the prophets. And so he's going to send his son. When we go on this journey to know Jesus through the Old Testament, the light is going to be shed in both directions. And the Old Testament will help us understand who Jesus is. But the words of Jesus are also going to shine backwards and let us understand this Old Testament. Knowing Jesus, uh, another reason we should do this together, knowing Jesus through the Old Testament declares the promise that Jesus fulfills. So in Genesis, three times, God states that he will use the descendants of Abram to bring a blessing to all nations. Three times at the beginning of the Old Testament, it says this, through your descendants, I will bless all nations. 
Get it? He even changes his name to Abraham to underline it. When you add that extra syllable, the meaning of the word changes to mean father of nations. Now through Jesus, God's promise will be fulfilled before our eyes. The descendant of Abraham, one in particular, will bring God's light to the whole world. We'll see that happen together in the weeks to come. Another reason we should do this, knowing Jesus through the Old Testament reveals the models and the patterns that God has built into the very fabric of the universe so that we can see him. So there is deliberate language that appears in Genesis that reappears in the New Testament that signals to us that Jesus is the, beginning, is the, is the end of the beginning and the beginning of the end. Deliberate language says that Jesus is the end of the time of preparation and the beginning of the time of fulfillment. Let me show you. We're going to put some Greek up here. We're going to use the Greek version of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but the Greek version helps you see its correlation to the New Testament Greek easier. All right. Genesis chapter 2 starts out, Altehe Biblos. Okay, Biblos. You hear the word Bible in there? Biblos. It means the record. So this is what we have. This is the record. Biblos, it says, then it says, Geneseos. Geneseos. Do you hear the word Genesis in there? Genesis. Geneos. Genesis. Geneos. This is the record of the beginning of the heavens and the earth. You go up to Genesis chapter 5, it says, Biblos, Geneos, Anthropon. This is the record of the beginning of humankind. Then you skip up to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Biblos, Geneos, Iesu, Christu. This is the record of the beginning of Jesus, the Christ. And if you were hearing this in its original language, this echo would signal to you, This is one of those big things. There's just about three of them. When God creates the whole universe, when God creates our entire race, and when God brings the Messiah. He couldn't have been more clear if he'd started it out a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far. (laughs) All right. Jesus... Jesus is called the Lamb of God throughout the New Testament. But that lamb imagery, if you want to know what it means, you have to go to the Old Testament. Jesus in the Christmas story is called Emmanuel. Okay, true confession time. Nobody in first service would confess this except for me. How many of you ever at some point in your life wondered, why do so many Christmas songs use the word Emmanuel? That's really a strange name. Anybody ever wonder, what's up with Emmanuel and all these Christmas songs? Okay. To understand that, you have to go to the prophecies of the Messiah from Isaiah in the Old Testament. And, then, and it unpacks all the meaning. Jesus says he'll tear down. Thank you for admitting that, by the way. You're just bigger people than first service. All right. Jesus said, Jesus said he will tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And that's what got him crucified. But all the meaning of that temple and everything it symbolized and why that's so offensive is all found in the Old Testament. Jesus called himself the bread of life and the light of the world. We can kind of get it, but if you really want to get it, you need to know those phrases came from the Old Testament. 
Jesus' whole life walks the Old Testament pattern of the promise uh, made, the promise forgotten, the promise remembered and kept. The Old Testament follows that story whole and many times within it. The promise made, the promise forgotten, the promise remembered and kept. And truth told, your and I's lives play this out sometimes several times a day. Once we were all young and our eyes sparkled and there was nothing but promise for who we'd become. And then we forgot that promise. We walked a bad road. We got lost. We got confused. We got rebellious. We got off where we couldn't find ourselves anymore. But then something helped us remember the promise. Something. It's different for all of the stories in the room, but something helped us remember that promise. And then God kept that promise and here you are, walking with him. God has woven this pattern into the fabric of the universe so that when it happens to us, we see it and we know what's happening. We think, I'm off here by myself where I shouldn't be. I'm lost forever. That's not the story of the universe. The story says, as soon as you remember the promise, God will keep the promise and you will come home. So here's a teaser of where we're going to head together. First of all, again, if you like handouts, you're going to be in the right place here for a while. We're going to add a new one to this. Uh, every week. And if, if you love filling in the blanks, and what I mean by love is you got a little OCD. Um, we, there's an answer key posted under the sign there and at the back of the room, because I know what it feels like when a blank has been skipped. And I apologize. <laughs> but, um, and if you have to miss a Sunday, the handouts and the podcasts to go with will uh, begin appearing on our website so you can have them. And thank you, Beth and the artist for creating this and, and making it more than just an exercise, but also a reflection. I've really stepped up my game for this one. Can we all step up our game? In a culture where people come to church average once a month, can we all step up our game? Try to go on this journey more together. You can get it on the podcast, but it's, it's not quite the same. I mean, you, you can't see the Greek words on the screen, and if I trip, trip and fall or something, you miss all the fun of that. Um, and so it's not quite the same. Can we, can we be here? Can we... And go on this journey together. Because I'll tell you what's going on here for me. I uh, hope to have the second half of my life to learn all sorts of things about God that's standing here right now. I don't know. But what I'm going to be doing for the next six months is basically summarizing everything I have learned about these scriptures and Jesus through them in the first 20 years. And I want to offer that and us to go on this journey together. Here's a preview. Next Sunday, I cannot be here, but Adam Lips is going to come and he is going to take us through the story of the Tower of Babel. And, uh, and then, depending on when I can return, the, I'm having surgery if you're wondering what the mystery is. All right. And then the, then the life of Jacob. Now, the Tower of Babel is one of the strangest stories in Genesis. And Jacob is in my top two irritating characters of the Old Testament. That guy's life is a hot mess. And finding... God in all of that is hard, but it's there. And Adam is one of our most theologically trained staff members. And when you've got a really smart person and a couple of really difficult Bible passages, you're going to come out a winner on that combo. So 
Join us next week as we continue through that part of Genesis. Later in the summer, the covenant promises of the Old Testament. We will find Jesus' fingerprints all over the covenant promises of the Old Testament. Early fall, Jesus and the Old Testament law. Sometimes we find Jesus keeping the law, sticking up for the law. Sometimes we find him breaking the law intentionally. What's up with that? We'll sort through that together. Then later in the fall, Jesus and his Old Testament values. There is a a definite morality of the Old Testament. And Jesus says he gets all his morality from it. It includes stuff that shocks us. How do you bring that together? The morality of the Old Testament and the morality of Jesus. We'll we'll do that. Uh, Late in the fall, Jesus and the Old Testament prophets. Our passage today said the people thought Jesus was a prophet. Why did they think that? And what does that mean? And what does that mean for us? And then for our Advent and Christmas season, the names of Jesus. Son of God, Son of Man, Servant of the Lord, Messiah. Jesus or people around him use these names for him. And all four of them find their meaning in the Old Testament. When we discover the meanings of these names, we'll understand what he was telling us about himself and what the people closest to him were saying. And that will be a great journey. Some of the sermons are going to be like today, very classroomy. So if, you know, if you're one of those perpetual students, you probably got a big charge out of today. And then some of you struggled to remain conscious. So, um, but some, some will be, you know, that academic. Okay. Some of them are going to be filled with stories and illustrations and we will laugh and cry together. Um, some of them, um, I will now, I'm pretty sure we're going to communicate through drama and through music. I, I'm, I'm working right now on Old Testament, the musical. Um, I'm anchoring the whole thing off a of Shawn Mendes song. So you don't want to miss that. Um, and so, um, oh, I, now I'm committed. All right. Well, you don't want to miss that. And cause, cause, because why? Because we want to keep it fresh and alive and moving. If we teach the Old Testament, we've got to be like the Old Testament, which changed from history to law, to poetry, to theater. All those genres are in it. And so I, want it to, I want us to have the feel that God meant for us to have as we go through his word. Don't take something he made exciting and present it in the boring way. You know, you might get hit with a lightning bolt for that. So... I do believe by the end of this, we will all understand the person and the character and the mission of Jesus with a clarity we've never had before. All right. Are you in? All right. Let's do this together. Well, now we go to a New Testament practice, the practice of communion, if our servants come, servers will come forward. But once again... The meaning comes from the Old Testament. We all know that on the night Jesus was betrayed, that he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. But do you know that it was the night of the Passover, an Old Testament celebration, and that when you broke that bread, you were remembering the night the Jews broke this bread and said, this is the last meal we eat in slavery. Eat it fast, because tomorrow God's going to rescue us. When Jesus breaks this bread, he says, this is my body broken for you. He's telling them straight up, tomorrow is the day I rescue you with the breaking of my body. We all know that he took a cup and he said, this cup is my blood poured out. Oh, sorry, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I, I wonder if they actually heard that last part. Because as soon as he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, I bet they all went, oh, 
the new covenant. They'd only been reading about that since children from Jeremiah. I will make a new covenant. I will be their God and they will be my people and I will put in them a heart of flesh and remove the heart of stone and no man will have to teach another. Look, this is what God is like for all will know by the spirit. And he said, that's about to happen. Here it is. This cup, my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Whoa. Thousand years of history crash into that room, crash into this room. So you can come down and you can tear off a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup and you receive it in yourself. You are receiving the forgiveness of God. You are receiving the acceptance of God. Right? You're not lost off in a corner. You just forgot the promise. But now the promise is remembered and here the promise is kept and you are coming home. You receive thousands of years of history crashing upon you of that God. Now if this is something you're doing for the first time. Uh, you've never taken communion before or you never took it and understood that's what it means. I'd love to hear about that. Come tell me about that, that that happened to you today because we have a a afternoon class that's a little later in the fall that I want to tell you about called New to the Faith where we help you further understand what God has done and what's your next step. How can you go further on this journey? How can you go deeper into this God? Love to hear that that has happened, happened for you. So you come down the aisle, you tear off a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup, and you receive all of this meaning in that moment. Let us stand together. Stand together and proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day may Christ be as real to you as this food and this drink. We're going to pray together and then we're going to come forward whenever you're ready. Uh, I'm going to pray by singing a short part of a song. That might be an unfamiliar way to pray for you, but that's what we're going to do. If you know the song, you can sing it too. You probably won't. It's very obscure. But if you do, you can have that little Easter egg kind of feeling. Um, You might know what the song means, and you might not. But if you don't know what it means, as you hear it, try to really hear it and realize that you're about to go on a journey that in a few short weeks, you're going to know what this song means, and it's going to open up a new view of God for you. Okay, let us pray together, and then you can come forward if you would like. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. O wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Amen. Come forward when you're ready. This is the Celtic benediction. This is a blessing we say over one another, so we can say this together. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing 
once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, sign up for camp before you leave the day on your app, and we will see you next week.